post it up here. <laughs> I don't always know if I'm going to know it or not, but I do my best. All right, we have our stage kind of uh, torn down a little bit with the graduations for the academy and such, so things are a little bit different. Um, but uh, this is always good. It keeps things different and fresh. It kind of uh, takes some of the monotony out of doing the same thing over and over again. I believe in changing things, doing stuff. Uh, not doctrine, not doctrine. But uh, processes, yeah, <laughs> some of the processes and such, things that we just get so in a rut that we can sing a song so many times, we can keep it out of words uh, And that is, that is a danger. Alright, tonight we're going to talk about the eternality. And I realize this is probably one of those things that, you know, a lot of people look at it and they say, well, that sounds like something a theologian or a scholar would want to know, but it doesn't really have much bearing on my life. Well, then I'm glad you're here. <laughs> because that's the point. It does. It does have bearing on your life. Many key doctrines are the source either of a comfort or even of a responsibility. Of a responsibility. And the eternality is one that is all throughout the scriptures. And as much as we don't think about it very deeply, we tend to think of eternity as a place, don't we? We tend to think of it as a place rather than a state or a status or a position. We tend to think about it in a very narrow terms. And when you come to the scriptures, you don't see that. And eternality, just to quote, I mean, one of the best books, and it's simple too. It's simple, folks. I, I highly recommend you get it and read it. It, it is not, it is not some kind of long, drawn-out theological treatise with a bunch of language and terms that nobody ever knows or cares to know about. It is A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Short. You would never expect a book on the attributes of God to be so short. But he says this in his book on chapter 7, The Eternity of God. He says the concept of everlastingness runs like a lofty mountain range throughout the entire Bible and looms large in Orthodox Hebrew and Christian thought. Were we to reject the concept, it would be altogether impossible for us to think again the thoughts of prophets and apostles. So full were they of the long dreams of eternity. He goes on a little bit later, the idea of endlessness is to the kingdom of God what carbon is to the kingdom of nature. The concept of everlastingness is necessary to give meaning to any Christian doctrine. Turn me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to try to hit as many verses as we can. There's actually, this is not even a comprehensive, exhaustive list. There's other verses that if you gave it time and energy, uh, you'd be able to add to the list here. But I thought this would be enough, this would be sufficient for this evening to get you thinking about some of these things and to think about why should the eternity of God matter to me? Why should I care? Okay, now, we don't want to say that arrogantly. We don't want to say that callously. We don't want to say that in a way that diminishes the power, the integrity, 
or the sanctity of God's Word, but anytime you're reading the Scriptures, a very important step in your personal Bible study should be basically to ask the question, why should I care? Why should it matter to me? What, what effect does this truth or this doctrine have on me? Don't just read a Scripture and then look for something that you like and then pass on, carry on. Ask yourself when you're reading the Scriptures, what why should I care? What is it that I should do with this truth? Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 there, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. And notice there he connects it with another attribute, the Almighty. The Almighty. Let's pray. Father in heaven tonight, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. We need a special unction from the Holy Spirit to peer deeply into what it means that you are eternal. But Father, we know it affects us. We know it's important to us because we are made of eternal material. So Father, help us to understand. If not in entirety, let us understand some part previously confusing. Father, we pray for those that are not able to be out with us tonight. Maybe they're watching online. I pray that you bless them, challenge them, encourage them. But most of all, Father God, by reason of this study, help us to be more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We are creatures of time. It is, it is built into us from the day that we are born, we are headed to our death. But we are marching towards our end. It comes at us boldly and without shame. There's nothing we can do about it. We live under a clock. We live on the face of a calendar. It is who we are. And so when we hear of things like, when did God begin? Where did God start? Where did he come from? It's hard for us to fathom that he always was. That there was never a moment that God did not exist. God was not created at the great cosmic birth that some people are trying to say brought all things into existence. He has always existed. He has always been here. There has never been a moment when God did not exist. And it's amazing to think, too, we're going to see this a little later on as we go, God sees all of time in a panorama. There, God, is, God is not present at one point in time and then present at another point in time. We love this in our movies and in our books and our novels and such, that the writer, he'll go back and tell you some backstory. And then he'll go back to the future. We, the, you know, in our novels, in our movies, that's the only time we can, we can travel through time. You've ever seen this movie, Time Machine? And then there's, there's so many other movies about people uh, trying to pass through different stages of human time. What's interesting to me, though, is God is eternal. But even in our writing, in our imagination, in the art of our imagination, we still limit ourselves into time. Have you ever noticed that? you ever watch a movie where the people 
are, are passing through time in one way or another. All they do is they're going back to ancient Egypt. Or, we love the cartoon Peabody Sherman. We think that's hysterical. Uh, they go back to ancient Egypt. You know, they go back to ancient Greece. They're always within time. God is so big. He is so vast that he transcends even the borders of linear time. And as you notice, time is always flowing one direction, isn't it? Just like a river. It's always going one direction. And so it's hard for us to imagine that anything out there is not getting older. Because we're so used to seeing this. We're so used to, to trying to understand the beginning and the end of things that it's hard for us to fathom that God is in fact endless. But look at me in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. I want you to see the connection here. This is no small thing. This, we're not just covering rote facts about God, some little tidbit or trivia about God, because his eternality is related to us. It's related to us. It's related to who we are, because it's stamped into, it's imprinted into our creation. Verse 20, not our creation that we created, God's creation in which we live. That's what I mean by that statement. Verse 20 there, chapter 1, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the eternality of God renders those people who are unbelievers, it renders them without excuse. Because of his eternality, they have a decision to make. They have a responsibility to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then live in a way and a fashion that is obedient to God, that is pleasing to God. This is not some far-off fact in a far-off land. This is a near fact. This is important to who we are, especially to those who are condemned by nature. We look first of all at the assembly of God. We know that God is entirely self-causing. He causes himself. There's nobody that has ever exerted any ounce of self-will over God. We said that God is entirely beautiful. He is everything that is attractive. He is the sum and substance of all that can be valued as beautiful. And that's why we're so enamored with heaven earth. And we think about walls and great pearls. Huge, huge pearls used as gates and just the, 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 you know, the precious stones made in the wall and the, and the, the uh, um, golden streets. All those things are beautiful. They evoke images of beauty to you and I. Well, that's the only fitting place that the God of all the creation, that the one true God who is beautiful, he should have a beautiful home. And then we realize how inadequate, how inadequate it is for us to build him a place. Man could not build him a place. The earth is his footstool. We said that God is entirely beautiful. Last week we discovered that God is altogether blessed. And we talked about why that is so important. But Psalms chapter 90, Psalms chapter 90, bear with me. Let's do a little extra page turning tonight so that you have a full understanding when you leave here 
that uh, you don't leave here and say, uh, well, pastor said this, but I don't know where he got it. All right? To me, if I ever hear that, that to me is, is a failure to do my job. It's a failure at that sacred desk we were talking about this morning. Uh, I want you to see and know and understand, but I know that sometimes people don't like to do too much each term. Okay? But you do want to know whether it's true, right? You do want to know whether it's true. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, it says there, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth, and notice there it is assumed, that God designed, that God built the world before God had even formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Not were God, not will be God. You are God. You are a present God. God exists endlessly. Eternity, eternally from infinity past all the way to infinity future. God exists both backwards into the past. He exists forward into the future without any interruption, without any kind of limitation. Without any kind of limitation. There is none. There is never a time period. Um, we're learning so much about our world right now through archaeology and through science and through plumbing the depths of the sea. And they're even discovering now, they think that the, ex the extinct Tasmanian tiger, which looks more like a dog than a tiger, and for the longest time they thought it was extinct, now they're positive they are present again. Just somewhere out of nowhere. They were diving away in the Tasmanian hills. Uh, the Solosan, uh, fish, they also thought that was gone. Uh, it was never to exist again. Now they're catching huge ones, massive ones, that are old, that are very old. And so you can go throughout history, and even during the course of mankind and its technology, there were times when it existed, there were times when it did not exist. All throughout history, and we do this kind of map plotting to discern and to decide when it was available. I'll tell you what, there was never, if you could draw a line of God's existence or a time, it would be solid. God was still God during the dark ages, amen? God was still God when Hitler was divining his next path across Europe. God never ceased to exist. Now, man may have neglected him. Man may have ignored him. Uh, man may have not been concerned about him. But God was perpetually present. That's what his eternality means. He was perpetually present all throughout time. We read Revelation 1.8 already. But notice there, our statement, our proposition statement, up inside of our introduction there. The eternality of God means that God is the continually existing one. He is the continually existing one. He, he lives perpetually in the present. In the present, time is not a material or a substance. It is a mode of existence, okay, under which creation is made subject, but God is not. Please understand that. 
that if God were limited and lived inside of time, he would cease to be God. Because he would have no claim, number one, of the sanity, he would have no claim of sovereignty. To us, especially when you when you try to understand time itself, it is a succession of events. It's a long line of events. So you know, either in a specific location or during a time period. But God is able to see all of it at one moment. I kind of imagine a guy sitting in uh, some kind of room, some kind of media room, and he has this entire wall of screens, and he's monitoring all of this stuff all the time. Now, that would be impossible to really wrap our head around because there's so much information, there's so much knowledge transpiring at any given moment, but that just helps me understand the fact that God knows all these things. So let's answer a couple of questions here. Number one, what does it mean to say that God is, in fact, eternal? What does it mean to say that God is, in fact, eternal? We looked at Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Look with me at Job 36, 26. Job 36, 26. And then we'll give you our first blanks there. 36, 26. Behold, God is great. And we know him not, neither can the number of his years be searched out. God, how old are you? You wouldn't understand. You just wouldn't understand. Because, letter A there, God has no beginning or end. He has no beginning or end. He has no age. Um, I said last week, he's never elderly. He will never be elderly. He was never young and foolish. Don't we all have some stuff we did when we were younger? We're like, oh, yeah. I could do that over again. <laughs> if I knew now, uh, if I knew what I know now back then, I probably would have done that differently. God doesn't have those moments. God doesn't have those moments. He doesn't have those bad days, those bad times. Time doesn't change for him. He is not bound to any circumstances. He is infinite in time. He is infinite because, Psalms 9-7, he is in fact immortal. He is in fact immortal. Psalms chapter 9, verse 7 there. Uh, it says this, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He hath, his throne is forever. His throne is perpetual. Uh, Pastor Paul said something similar to Pastor Timothy when he was encouraging Timothy in his ministry. Now unto the king eternal, immortal. And then of course, invisible, the only wise God be honored and glory forever and ever. Amen. And we understand the word immortal. We understand that we can comprehend that God is deathless. God is deathless. He does not age. He cannot die. And he does not suffer decay. Aren't you glad the wisdom of the most high being never wanes? Aren't you glad that his omniscience, his omnipresence are never diminished? Because he's eternal. 
And he is, and that's what's interesting about the attributes of God. If you, if you really want to get yourself confused, start thinking about the attributes of God in relation to other attributes. I mean, you just God is forever. He is forever God. That means he is forever omniscient. He's forever good. He's forever love. He is. He is forever omnipresent, so I know that He is always with me, no matter the problems that I'm going through. I'll tell you what, it's a source of great encouragement, and that's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. One of the best things, the most important things a pastor could do is help his people to understand God more deeply and more fully, because if we have the attributes of God right, what will happen is, It'll, it'll uh, color our vision of the scriptures. And when we study the scriptures and we come to places like Judges chapter 17, we'll look at it and say, yeah, but God was still good. God was still good. He was still gracious. When we, when we look at other places like in Ezekiel and some of the terrible things that people were doing, the, you know, the Bible says God was still omniscient. God knew what was happening in those secret chambers there off the temple. He knew what was going on there because God is immortal. Let us see there. God lives outside of time. He lives outside of time. Time cannot touch him. Now, time exists in God. It is because of God that we have the calendar, that we have time, that we understand time. The time is... Uh, and we have the ability to follow the lunar path, that we have uh, the understanding to follow the days, that we can map out the days. We understand that. So God provides for that for us, but God lives beyond it. He lives outside of time. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God actually refers to himself by a name. And Jesus will echo it in John 8, 58. When he says this, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, hath sent me unto you. That's a clear reference to the fact that God is the ever present one. He is the continually present one. He is perpetually, perpetually existent one. When he calls himself the I am. And Jesus wasn't mincing words when he called himself the same thing. I mean, that was uh, that was tantamount to blasphemy. That was tantamount to blasphemy. That was heresy uh, in his time. But what you and I have to understand, have to realize, is that I, this shows us then the eternality of who he is and who and uh, who Jesus Christ is as well. And then, being his, you could say, siblings, God's offspring, we then become eternal. Now, I realize we, in one respect, did not exist prior to the creation of the world. But we are still given it. This is bullet Okay, there was a day when I did not exist. And yet, I will still exist forever. Who can do that? Who could do that? God could. The eternal one, the sovereign one. 
the self-supplying one, he could do that. And only him. You realize how special that is? That's amazing to think about. And to consider what grace and what glory he has bestowed on us. That he should make us like him. And we have to be like him in order to be able to see him as he is. Someday we will see him as he is. Because we will be in that eternal material. I mean, I don't know, it just blows my mind. But I'll tell you what, right now, in our present state, God is not like his creation. God is not like his creation. He is different from us at this present time. We are still living with death. We are still living with time. We are still bound to time. Uh, reading uh, Psalms 90, ver or 90 verse 2 again, once more before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is not like us. God is different than us. But I, 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 I mean, what, a, what an answer to prayer. What a testimony it is to know, though, that God has given us the ability to be like him. If he became like us, he would cease to be God, correct? So what he has to do in order for us to fully enjoy him, we talked about this last week on the matter of blessedness. He's called us into that, sort of forgive the analogy, into that dance. Between Father, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as they enjoy one another. Remember that one of the last points was that they are they live in blessed company. You and I are being invited to a party we don't deserve. Did you ever feel excluded as a kid? I did. Whether I should have or shouldn't, I don't know. But I, I, I'll tell you what: this is what I don't want to miss. And through Jesus Christ, we have that opportunity. We have that opportunity to enjoy Him and to enjoy Him as He should be enjoyed. Now what's neat is, go with me to Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 12. And this just kind of gives you, it illustrates a little bit the fact that God's eternality is related to other attributes. Okay? It is related to other attributes. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 12. Obviously, Malachi 3.6, James 1.17, they tell us that God is unchanged. There's no shadow of turning with him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 12. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. God's eternality is closely related to the perfection called immutability. Immute, I-M-M-U-T. And then at the end, put the word, spell out the word ability. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. What a blessing that will be. Everything's changing all the time right now. It's so uncomfortable, isn't it? Change. About the time you get used to things, you get a, you get a status quo put together, 
and then something else changes. Or whatever it might be. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's even a bill that you have to deal with. You're finally, okay, I've, I've made peace with my property taxes. Congratulations, you're getting a sidewalk. Well, I don't want a sidewalk. You know, I don't want this. Oh, we get used to a certain politician or political scheme. And the new one comes in. We get used to a certain amount of society and civic unrest. And then all of a sudden, you wake up to a woke mob. You know, I mean, you know, change, it's just, it's constantly around us. What's funny, though, is, is God did not intend for that kind of change. Disruptive change, destructive change. That came with sin. Adam and Eve, they did not have trouble in the garden, did they? They ate of the fruit, they tended to the plants. Which is kind of interesting to me, because what were they tending to? The plants didn't die. Did they have branches to be pruned? You know what it sounds to me like? It sounds like he said, eat the fruit. You know, eat the fruit off the trees. Tend to the trees. Maybe they were supposed to package it up, take it to the animals. I don't know. I don't know. How hard was it? But it was a world that was comfortable against change. It was a reflection of the God created. Sun rose, the moon rose, all in succession. Everything operated just like God meant for it to be. And someday we're going to enjoy Him, and that will never change. You ready for that? Are you excited about that? We're going to be able to walk with Him in the garden like Adam and Eve did. And guess what? We'll never have to wait for the other shoe to drop. Well, who's going to commit the sin this time? There'll be none of that. You won't have to worry about that. And God's feelings towards you will never change. They will never change. That's one of the saddest parts of, you know, when you're counseling people. He's getting them to realize God didn't change, you did. God still feels the same way about you that he did previously when things were good. And so you need to invoke change to bring back in that, that righteousness. Now, how is God eternal letter A there? Deuteronomy 32, verse 40. Deuteronomy 32, verse 40. Um, one of the ways that you have to understand. Now, this is not really an aha moment. You're going to say, well, duh. Considering what you said there with aseity, yeah, this makes sense. Chapter 32, verse 40, For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. God lives forever by his own will. Number one there, God's eternality is entirely self-supporting. There are no threats to God's ability to live and work and move and, and believe in eternity in an eternal fashion. And because he is the El Olam, he is the everlasting God that's seen there in Genesis chapter 21, verse 33, Genesis 21, verse 33, we see that God has no cause. 
And because he has no cause, he is not bound by any measure of time. And we've talked about that. I'm trying to intentionally repeat some things just so that they'll stick home a little bit. Okay? Uh, chapter 21, verse 33. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Remember that? We said from everlasting to everlasting. Okay? It would be better than, better than thinking of time, you know, the time of God. The, the time that God follows, which God doesn't follow time. But when you're trying to think about God and His beginning and end, it's a circle. It's not a line. He is perpetual. He has no cause. There's never a time when God didn't exist. And because of that then, number one there, his kingdom is also eternal. His kingdom is eternal. His throne is eternal. We looked at that one already. Look at me at Psalms 135, verse 13. Psalms 135, verse 13. His name is eternal. Everything about him is eternal. All of the things that he produces are eternal. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. Throughout all generations. God's kingdom is eternal. And think about that in light of the fact that we are right now studying the Sermon on the Mount in the morning service. Now, we'll take a break from it this week because uh, Maranatha will be here. But we'll come back to it in two weeks again. We'll hit the Sermon on the Mount. We're finally halfway. We're finally halfway. I hope it's been as rich for you as it has been for me. But in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4, Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am the eternity or eternality of God is the perfection by which he works out his plans in the generations of mankind. Being the fact that he is perpetually present at all times throughout time means, I, I love how it highlights the fact that when God is looking at the circumstances of my life, there was never a moment when he went, oh, oops. I didn't know that. You and I, we look at this kind of blunt edge to our lifetime, and there are things that we cannot see for one reason or another. That doesn't happen to God. He doesn't experience that. So when you're going through adverse circumstances, and you're feeling poorly about things, you're looking at it going, well, how did God miss this? God didn't miss it. He's perpetually present. He saw your life beginning to end. He knew every single little part, every single little piece. That ought to give us hope. That ought to give us comfort. And it ought to prove to us that he intends to take us through those trials rather than just to take us out of them. When he takes us through, when, he, when we go through a hardship, it's not that God is saying, I don't care about you. He's saying that you and I are going to take a little walk. But I'm going to be there the whole way. I'm going to help you. That's the sharp edge of the stick, isn't it? The fact that when you look at that, well, that's how omniscient God truly is. He knows every single part and panoramic view of my life. 
That means I had better learn to trust him. That means I had better be careful about complaining, about murmuring, about questioning. Because God intends to do something wonderful. What did Paul call it? Our light affliction. He said it works an exceeding great, a better benefit than we could ever imagine. When God takes us through that dark season, He means to bless us. Right? All things work together for good. For them to love God and follow according to His purpose. That doesn't mean that you have some cherry pie kind of life and nothing ever happens, nothing bad. That's not what that means. If you're, if you're close to God and you're doing right things and you go to church and you're doing your stuff, then nothing bad ever happens. You know, that's not what that means means that he goes through it with us, and by it, he proves his love and his sovereignty to you and to me. Well, God's eternal nature teaches us a few things about ourselves. And number one is this. Let me go through these quickly. Letter A, though, the eternality of God means that he is the guarantor of our contentedness. All right? He guarantees our ability to be content. The problem with contentment is ours. Okay, that's the, that's the problem. The problem with contentment and having contentment is ours because God is eternal. His supplies never run out. His resources never wane. His concern, His care never diminishes. When we do not have something that we believe we should have or want, that's because God intends to bless us with our to bless us without it. Letter B, there, the eternality of God means that God is our tireless guard. This is a good one. Look at this one. Uh, Deuteronomy 33, 27. Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, as you catch it. See, that's the problem. We read over this stuff so fast. Eternal God, okay, yeah, God's eternal. Keep going. His eternality is a protective defense for you. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Aren't you glad God's arms never get tired? Yeah, that's right. Mine do. Mine do. Bill was commenting on music. I'm leaving the music sometimes. There are some days when we sing a while, my arms get tired. <laughs> and you know, the shoulder will even hurt a little bit. <coughs> Our arms get tired. God's never do. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall, and shall say, destroy them. Destroy them. The eternality of God means that God is our tireless guard. You, I mean, you see the intersection there of practicality and promise, daily promise, with a heavy doctrine? I hope you don't hear the word doctrine and go, and start to snooze. I, I mean, it's there for a reason. Our lives, our foundation, our hope, our future. 
It's all built on doctrine. Let us see that the eternality of God means that God sees our whole lives at once. Isaiah 46. You know what? I've mentioned this a few times, so I just don't want to, I don't want to miss it. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. God can declare the beginning and the end all at one time. He sees it in a beautiful panorama. And we want to get real technological here. He can Tap that screen and he can zoom in at any time. Alright, if you need a mental image. Let's cover five comforts that come from the eternality of God. Number one, comfort number one. God's eternality means that there's never a time that God will cease to exist. Because he has never not existed. His promises, therefore, are eternal as well. The fact that God has been eternal so far means that he will continue to be eternal in the future. There is nothing to govern him in time, in age. I don't have to live in fear of God somehow not existing. And when he makes a promise, a promise based on his limitless resources, can rest assured of its authenticity, of its reality. Comfort number two, God's eternality confirms the totality of his saving sovereignty. Because God is eternal, when he makes promises about, you know, such a sovereign, such as our care, such as our provision, salvation is a good one, right? Our eternal salvation. Our salvation is eternal. For that to happen, Okay, for that to happen, God would have to remain because he is the securer of our salvation. My salvation suffers absolutely no risk because God is eternal. Now, what a blessing that is. God sees all of time with real-time perfection, assuring us of his omniscience. The reason that's important is because as the Bible talks about, he foreordains, he preordains, he leads, he guides our steps. There are promises to guard our feet as he takes us through circumstances. There's never a hiccup. There's never a, a break in the matrix, if you will. Okay? God knows it, he sees it. And it comforts us when we are tempted to believe that somehow God has misdirected our steps. God has already lived all of our tomorrows. He knew about all of our yesterdays already. He took our yesterdays and our tomorrows and he planned you know, the 
and bring him the greatest glory. Comfort number four, forever will be our final home and safety. We will live again. I talked about this already. I just, I can't believe we who had a beginning, we will not have an end. We who are made of temporary, finite stuff, we will live forever. To quote Tozier one more time, God's eternity and man's mortality join to persuade us that faith in Jesus Christ is not optional. For every man it must be Christ or eternal tragedy. You and I being created in forever fabric means that there is a choice that needs to be made about what happens after this life. And what's interesting to me is the eternality of God forces the annihilationist into a corner. You know what an annihilationist is? God is so loving, God is so kind, that God is not going to make people suffer for eternity. Okay, so what's going to happen is the unsaved that rejected Christ, they're going to die and God's just going to pass them into nothingness. They'll cease to exist because God can't stand suffering. The problem is we are made now of the material of God. And it is a material that doesn't pass away. Now, hell was a place prepared for who? The devil and his angels. But when we accept Satan's religion and live to please ourselves, to serve ourselves, to live selfishly, what happens is we take that forever material. And by opposing God, we align ourselves with Satan and we align ourselves with the unholy armies. And we suffer the punishment that was meant for them. If you're listening this evening, either here in the room or online, I mean, I can appreciate why people would be uncomfortable with the doctrine of hell. The problem is, it's not a comfort issue. The problem is, is that it is a genuine issue of your soul, and you stand in jeopardy every hour that you remain without Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages, the just fruit, the just salary of that sin is death. But God in His great goodness provides justification in Jesus Christ our Lord. When we accept Christ and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we are born again, when we are saved, to use the monikers, when we accept Jesus Christ's lordship over our hearts and lives, that we should confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus Christ and so believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we can be saved. We can have that forever fabric changed and altered so that it will not suffer the defilement of hell, but that it will enjoy the blessing of eternity with the God from which it came. 
The eternality of God forces you to make a decision about where you will spend eternity. My friend, you will not just vaporize. Jesus specifically said, where the worm dieth not. He called it an everlasting place. I'll tell you what, it's simple. There's no formula. The thief on the cross said, remember me. Today, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, it's as simple as recognizing the lordship, the mastery of Jesus Christ, confessing your sin and asking God to be merciful on you as sinner. Amen. You can have every ounce of assurance of your salvation. These things are written that ye may know and in knowing believe. God takes the guesswork out of eternity. Comfort number five. We are made of God's eternal substance, and eternity is set in our hearts. Eternity is set in our hearts, the preacher said. Friend, you have a decision. Christians, then do our lives reflect the eternality of God? You say, well, what would that what, what might that look like? Well, Again, we complain less knowing God's in charge, right? We would worry less when I'm fearful and anxious. It's because I'm struggling with the fact that God is stable even when I'm not. What I've done is I've taken the problems of the creature and put them on the Creator. Maybe that's something you need to deal with. Unsaved friend, you need to choose as Jesus said so long ago whom do men say that I am who am I who am I what am I in particular what am I to you savior or judge those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ we will know him as our Lord and Savior those who have rejected Jesus Christ will know him as a judge but friend, it need not be so. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you and praise you for this evening. Father, what a tremendous joy to understand more deeply, to understand your eternal nature and character. Again, help us. Even now, I struggle to understand all that it means. But Father, there is no mandate to understand it all instantly, but that we would continue to search out the Scriptures and understand what these things mean. Help us then to be Bereans when it comes to your eternal nature. Father, I pray that you bless each one of these dear folks. Many, many stayed home tonight for their own creature comfort. Father, this group, believing so deeply in the eternality of Jesus Christ, have come, expecting a blessing. Father, grant it to them. That, Father God, this week might be particularly sweet. Bless us as we give an account to every man that asks us the reason of the hope that is within us. Let us be champions for Christ, always reflecting the light of your glorious word. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name.
Thank you, folks. Have a wonderful evening. Goodbye. God bless you.